Coming up on Golf Today, we take a closer look at Tiger's design work in Mexico ahead of the Worldwide Technology Championship. Will it be a birdie fest or will it be a grind? Well, Keith Mitchell is about to find out. He's in the field in Cabo, but first, he'll sit down to talk with us about the state of his game and the state of the game in these uncertain times. And on this Halloween, what are the scariest shots in golf? Carries over water, long bunker shots, short putts, all going to be a spooky golf today. Golf today. Happy Halloween. This is Golf Today. As you can tell by the music, it's a spooky day. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch. Golf Week magazine. Kids all over the country. Some playing hooky, probably getting ready to put on some costumes and look for some candy. Will you be among the, the kids, the big kids, getting some candy this evening? I'll be getting some candy, but I'm not sure about the costume thing. The only costume I have, David, is the apathetic broken golfer, and you're looking at it right now. This uh -oh. is it. Wow, wow, wow. Well, you've got triplets. What are you doing? I, I do. The boys are going to put on basketball jerseys. They're all about the candy at this point in life at the age of 12. Back in the day, I was Batman. I was Batman on our old studios down in Orlando. But even as a kid, I thought Batman was always an underrated, underappreciated superhero. You know, kind of a little bit of a dark character, you know, tough upbringing for Batman. But I love me some Batman. You ain't no Batman. <laughs> I ain't <laughs> no Batman. But I do love this holiday. It got us to thinking about some of the scariest shots that we saw over the past year, the scariest moments in 2023. So this is Eric Von Royen. He's about to hit his shot, aiming a swarm of bees are on the attack. Really, it looks as though they're, they're all hitting the deck, Damon, even the cameraman. I, I do not like bees, you know. I, I don't think I'm <laughs> Nor does Eric, by the looks of it. <laughs> Mike, he's getting low. I'm a smart man. Uh, Camilo used to read his putts. How about another warm weather venue? This will give you the horrors. There's Colin Morikawa at the Century back in January when he had an episode with the chipping yips on that hole. Yeah, I think chipping struggles. I mean, tight lies. That, that tough Bermuda grass. Didn't even get that shot to the green. How about this? This is the PGA Championship. A little deja vu. This is going to be Corey Connors round number three. Yeah, straight into the face of the bunker. And the very next day, he was right in contention, Victor Hovland. The exact same shot. Really bad break, as Victor Hovland was in the thick of the fight with Brooks Kepka until that moment. How about golf's longest day, Lucas Glover, trying to get into the U.S. Open. That putt would have put him in, but you can say he bounced back pretty well this year. Finished the year with a great, great style of play. This not such great style. I think Tom Kim knew when he got in the mud at the PGA that he was going viral. That's a little done and dirty right there. <laughs> no doubt about it. How about just being on the PGA? This is Michael Block, one of the poor moments. Didn't have many poor moments at Oak Hill. No, and that's the extreme block. <laughs> the dead shank. How about uh, Wyndham Clark at the Los Angeles Country Club with the whiff? Still went on to claim victory that day. Sure did. Great powers of resilience. This is Ann Van Dam, one of the longest hitters in the game, but you break your driver head. I actually still think she could drive it past you with a broken driver, Eamon. She probably think? could. That was on her way to a playoff as well. Unbelievable. Broken driver. And speaking of broken, broken heart. I mean, this is this I do not like snakes. That is a venomous snake at the uh, Australian coast. This is Adam Hadwin. Getting like tackled like Lawrence Taylor hit him when Nick Taylor won his national open. That I didn't was, know who he was. That was a squares contact, Adam. Felt all week. Not about it. This is uh, Mike Lorenzo Vera at the Korea Championship. Another bad shank way over there. I mean, oh, he's embarrassed. It's the, it's the miss of a good player, though, the shank. That's what I'm whenever I hit a shank. Dry land is what we would call that, Damon. No doubt about it. I mean, look at it. He wants to hide. I understand that. And I guess, you know, on this Halloween, you got to finish. That, that looks like it. That looks like it. Is that a, a water moccasin or a copperhead? If it doesn't have shoulders, I don't want to know what it is. I think it it's is, a copperhead. It, it's quail hollow. That was Ricky Fowler getting in there. Well, that's our social question of the day. Well, the scariest shot in golf or scariest moment, best responses will be featured on today's show.
Well, meanwhile, over on the PGA Tour, the Worldwide Technology Championship is being played for the first time at the Tiger Woods-designed El Cardinal course, which is at the Diamante Resort in Cabo San Lucas, the southern tip of the Baja Peninsula. The course opened nine years ago. It tips out at 7,452 yards, par 72. So everybody wants to know what's Tiger's design philosophy. This course is going to remind people of the old-style California courses. We'll use the existing arroyos that traverse the site and well-placed bunkers to create definite strategic choices and carries off the tees. Makes me nervous already. I set up the golf strategy to make golfers think and make choices. Angles of approach are going to be very important and will dictate the type of shots you should consider. I love this kind of golf, says Tiger Woods. And it's interesting, you know, we've seen players go from players, uh, you know, Ben Crenshaw, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, who have gone on to the design game. What do you think of this chapter that Tiger Woods is embarking on? Because he was had some projects before that were stalled by the global pandemic and global financial crisis as yeah, well. Yeah, you can go back quite a while and there were Tiger courses planned in, in various corners of the world, all the way out in Dubai even, that never actually quite got off the ground. This was the first course Tiger ever designed. I, I first went around this property when there were just white stakes out in the, the desert and arroyos, mm. uh, which I then am quite familiar with on golf courses, as you know, Damon. <laughs> and that was before the course had even been cleared and shaped. And it was a very nondescript piece of property. And then to go back a couple of years later and see the finished product, it's always fun to see the journey that a course takes from just being dirt and cacti mm. into a golf course. And it's very much in the model of, of resort course golf. The, sure. the fairways are pretty generous by resort standards. And here's Tiger during the, the development of the golf course there. The guy on the right, Ken Jowdy, is the owner of the property. It looks, it pretty much flows downhill towards the Pacific Ocean without quite getting there. There are stretches of it where it can be sort of directionally a little bit repetitive, but there are some interesting holes out there for sure, and particularly around the green complexes. There's a lot of kind of runoff chipping areas mm. as well. I would expect pretty low scores this week. There aren't a lot of disasters waiting out there unless, like us, you end up down in one of those arroyos <laughs> right. in between the rocks, in which case you're pretty much finished. But it is a... It's a generous golf course, and when you're taking the best players in the world and putting them out there, yeah. you're going to have to really sprint to keep pace this week, I think. I wonder what we'll learn about Tiger's design philosophy. <coughs> I remember speaking to Nota Begay about how Tiger thinks on a golf course and how different it is from even Tiger's peers. He sees shots that other players, other great players, just don't see, that they don't even fathom particular angles or flights of shot or different ways to approach different holes. So I wonder if any of that, you know, incredible mind that Tiger has displayed in his incredible career will be visible in his design work. Will we be able to see, ah, that's that's definitely a Tiger shot. I couldn't even have contemplated this type of design. Well, he, he has likened his design philosophy in the past to those great old Southern California courses, the Rivieras, Bel Air. You're not going to see a lot of that at Diamante, other than the fact that there are little canyons and arroyos that kind of dictate uh, strategy on a lot of the holes. But there are certainly enough places where he gives you the opportunity to bite off just enough to mm. choke on. Mm. And ultimately, that's, to me, the fundamental of uh, good design in, on any golf course is what are the options? Is there, uh, is there the option for the safe play that then becomes exponentially tougher as you work your way around the hole? Or is there the hero shot out there where you can execute it or choke on it. And there's certainly holes like that at Diamante. It, it will not be considered, it will not be likened to any of those Southern California yeah. courses simply because the property doesn't allow itself to be there. But I'm, I'm sure he's pretty proud of it. It's, it is the first course that he's ever had his name on. He's currently building a second full-length course at the same property. And he also built the Oasis course there, which is a little short uh, par three course that's on the property. So he definitely has a pretty large footprint where the tour is playing this week. I do wonder what his design philosophy will be 10, 20 years from now when he has a portfolio, perhaps. We look at Ben Crenshaw, one of the great minimalists in my mind, doesn't move a lot of earth, you know, lets the land do what it was meant to do. Some architects can be a little bit heavy-handed, a little bit more contrived. I wonder if Tiger will be more of the, you know, putting his imprint on the golf course or being more of a minimalist and letting the golf course land kind of dictate how the holes come to pass. There, there's a distinct correlation between the amount of work tour players have done as designers and the quality of the work. Crenshaw has never done mm. that much and I would argue is the best tour player turned designer 
mm. in, in certainly that we've seen in recent memory. Weisskopf has a lot of great courses as well. But Jack, Arnie, Gary Player, it was a mass market approach. It was a sure. very successful business for those guys. And certainly during the pre-crash era, they were building a lot of golf courses. And frankly, not a lot of good ones mm. in that mix as well. They certainly have their share of courses that people can point to and say that is the best of their work. Yes. But when you are stretched thin in, in boom times, then the work certainly takes on a, a sameness. Mm. And Tiger certainly not in that point at this stage. I'm not sure any architect mm. can get to that point in the current market that we live in anymore. But it'll certainly be interesting to see if Tiger starts to get property that is really good mm. for golf. And that, that's really the trick for these guys. Are right. there enough good pieces yeah. of land out there you can put a great golf course on it because they're all good enough to put a good golf course if they have enough bulldozers on, mm. on lousy land. But how can they work with really good quality land? And that's few and far between those assignments. It's that old uh, restaurant saying, location, location, location. We fun to watch the best players in the world compete on a Tiger Woods course this week. Just three events remaining in the FedEx Cup fall. Here is what's at stake, and it's a lot. Tournaments offer winners the same benefits as regular season events. Players 51 to 60 on the FedEx Cup points list through the fall qualify for two signature events in 2024. That's Pebble and Genesis. Top 50 on FedEx Cup points list after the Tour Championship are exempt into all signature events. Top 125 on the final FedEx Cup standings will be exempt for full field events in 2024 and the players. And then players 126 to 150 will have conditional status for 2024 PGA Tour season. Well, one guy has a lot to play for in those final weeks of the season is Keith Mitchell. 68th on the FedEx Cup point list and battling towards the perks that come with the top 60. Kashmir Keith is coming right after the break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Back on Golf Today, the PGA Tour heads to Cabo San Lucas in Mexico for the Worldwide Technology Championship. You can catch the action Thursday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time right here on Golf Channel. Eamon, the cashmere Keith Mitchell is in the field. He's become somewhat of a style icon on the PGA Tour. Father Jerry introduced him to the game of golf, and more importantly, the idea of wearing a visor on the course. Five top ten finishes on tour this season, currently 68th in the FedEx Cup fall standings, and perhaps on the verge of a GQ cover shoot someday. And Keith Mitchell joins us now from Mexico. Cashmere Keith, how much do you lean into that whole persona, the fashion plate, the, the wares that you bring out week to week on the PGA Tour, the styles? I tell you what, there's no room for cashmere down here this week. It's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely warm today. I'm already sweating and I just hit a few balls. I'll be, I'll be staying off of that. Keith, you're, you're 68th on the FedEx Cup point list entering this week, top 60 get into the two signature events early next year, the AT&T at Pebble and the Genesis. You were top five in both of those events earlier this year. How much is it on your mind to get back there for 2024? It's huge, honestly. Those are two of my favorite tournaments, not only because of my performance, but just the golf courses at Pebble Beach and Riviera are exceptional. I've had a lot of fun at AT&T Pebble Beach where, you know, got to meet a ton of amazing people in and out of the golf world. So those are very, very high on my list. And a good week here and a good week at RSM in two weeks. Hopefully we'll seal the deal. Keith, five top tens so far this season. How would you assess your year? Streaky. Um, I hate to say it. I, I started out well, finished well, and didn't really have a, a – the middle of my year was kind of <laughs> slow the summer. So 
just trying to figure out what makes it streaky. Try to figure out the excuses and the reasons when I play well, try to match those two things up together and, you know, really spend a lot of time this off season preparing for next season, because it's a lot shorter. You don't have as many tournaments to, to finish in that top 50. So we're going to have to do a lot of extra work uh, this December. Do you think the fall series is working as of now, Keith? I know this schedule was not designed with this in mind when it was first published to become this kind of series for guys to play for status and their livelihood. But when you see guys like Aaron Badley, who's 96th in points, he's outside this week trying to get an alternate slot in the field. Is it really working for the purpose that it's designed to right now to give guys a chance to play for that status? I think we'll, we'll know more after the RSM and see how it all shakes out. It's, you know, we still have three tournaments left. Um, hopefully, you know, Aaron plays well and keeps his card. And I think it adds a nice storyline to the end of the season. Um, what it obviously did work is it gave a lot of the guys in the top 50 some time off that they feel like they deserved and needed. So, um, you know, it's it's from my point of view, when where I stand, it's it's easy to say that, you know, I get to play a few more tournaments and try to get in those two events. And I think it would be different in every single person considering where they fall in the FedEx Cup from the previous season to decide kind of how they feel about it. So I'm currently in a state that, you know, I would be at this tournament regardless. Worldwide Technology is an amazing sponsor and then RSM is a home event. So I was going to play those two regardless. There are some unknowns in the fall. There are also some unknowns big picture. What's it like being a, a PGA Tour member with so much uncertainty about what this tour will look like going forward? You know, it's it's consuming off the course, I would say. Um, I'm, I'm kind of one of those guys that have, have felt um, just interested in all of it, I guess you should say. Um, being a PAC member, <laughs> I've, you know, kind of, voice my views on some things and um it's it's very uh captivating i hate to say it it's like we don't know what's going to happen next year um some people might think it'd be a, a great thing some people might not regardless of which way it goes so we're just kind of we're sitting around waiting um this week i'm gonna be focusing on my golf game um and then i'll be focusing on my golf game and rsm and then maybe have time to you know dive back into it and come december there does seem to be a, a perception among some of your colleagues on the PGA Tour that the tour players are undercompensated for what they do. Do you subscribe to that idea? It's it's an interesting, interesting uh, question because we do play for an exorbitant amount of money. And I don't know the, the pure finances of, of the sustainability or the growth um especially as a nonprofit, um i also think it's great that we're allowed to grow our own brands off the course to whatever number we we can grow it to there is no there's no limit there's no take there's no percentage it's like it's your brand grow it as big as you want and we're going to help you promote that so i do love that part about it um you know I, it's hard to speak from under compensation if i'm not in the room with the finances and deciding where that money goes. I, I think that's a, a little bit over my head there. Well, do you think that golfers, the best golfers in the world, should be compensated a la Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Vlad Guerrero, the, the studs in other big-time sports? If the market accepts that and, and supports it, absolutely. It's, it's you know, I feel like we're a very capitalistic game. What you, you How you finish is what you earn. And if if the market and the media rights and the public views, if all of that adds up to those numbers, and absolutely, if it doesn't, then I say that's a losing model. And then all of a sudden, everybody loses. So I feel like you should just always the economics should always match up. And you know, I'm I'm not in a in a situation where I can say they are or aren't. I just think that we should earn what the market dictates we should earn. Which is an interesting question these days, since, since Jay Monaghan has in the past suggested that the, the Live project, for instance, was an irrational market, that there wasn't necessarily an audience to support that. Do you, now we see that there's potential for a private equity investment in the tour as well. Keith, do you have any particular preference on how things ought to work out, or are you just happy to kind of sit and wait to see what happens from the people who are paid to worry about that? It's I, I definitely have my personal views and I don't want to say that they're correct just because I don't have I'm not privy to all the information. But if you compare it to every other sport, 
which is a vague comparison. Um, but they all were a, a nonprofit at one point and they went to a for-profit model, still being able to donate money to charity and um, give back to charity as much as possible. I feel like if we could go to a for-profit model and continue the charitable donations at the rate that we do, I don't see why that would be a negative. But again, you know, I didn't go to business school. I'm not a I'm not in private equity. I don't know if that investment is actually correct or not. So um, from you know an outsider looking in, I feel like that's kind of where I stand. You mentioned earlier the idea of players being able to grow their own brand and build their own personalities. At the players this year, you slammed your driver on the turf after a lousy tee shot. It went viral on social media. The tour took it down, and then you reposted it yourself. Do you think, as a general rule, either golf or the tour specifically, needs to kind of loosen its girdle a little bit and have a little bit more fun and let players show a bit more personality? I, I think we should always show the personality that we see, um, that we actually are ourselves on the golf course. You know, how that reacts with the tour and the media rights, I want to be very careful there because, you know, if the tour lets it lets its guard down too much, it might actually hurt itself. Um, so I understand why they did this. I don't think it had anything to do with the personality and myself, which is why I was able to repost it and and you know kind of enjoy the fun banter. So you know it's a it's a it's a tough line, you know, protecting your brand as I protect mine. The PGA Tour is trying to protect theirs, and as long as those things are in lockstep, I think we're in a good place. Speaking of good banter, what's been the greatest benefit? of having a friendship with the likes of Peyton Manning and Andy Roddick, who are two of the best to ever do it in their respective sports. I mean, they're they're great. I'll tell you what, talk about growing your brand. I mean, Peyton's done better than just about anybody post-athletic um, career of what he's been able to do, especially in the media rights and Omaha Productions. It's truly something to aspire to after your performance um you know on the field or on the on the course as, as as golfers see it so you know it's it's really something that um i've been able just fortunately to be able to involve with those guys kind of learn a little bit from them and i remember talking to andy about it one night late by fire and asking him about all the after the um you know after the, your athletic career is over and how should i kind of start doing that now he said don't just focus on golf do everything you can to be the best golfer and that will only lead to more um you know after after your career as you go through that process and those conversations keith about talking to athletes who've excelled in their sport and try to figure out how you can maximize your own talent in golf what do you think it is that separates you from say the top five top 10 golfers in the world. When you see a guy like a Ram or Scotty Scheffler or Rory next to you on the range, what do you look at and think, I, I need that or I don't have that right now? It's a great question. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, a lot of time asking people on my team um, really how to, to bridge that gap. I feel like off the tee, I'm there. I don't feel really any sort of lag, I would say, off the tee in my game. And so the rest of it is really just belief in my game. I believe in my driver. I believe in what I do off the tee. I believe that I can compete when my irons and my and my putting can match up to that. Um, I've shown that a couple times a year. Um, unfortunately, I've only closed the deal once, but you know, I've been in contention plenty of times. And I really just think it's the belief that I have in my game off the tee. I need to translate that into my irons, into my into my putting. Felt like my short game slowly getting there as well. And that just takes um, kind of trust. It takes repetition and it takes experience. And I feel like going on my seventh year out here, I should, I should have the experience. So hopefully I can just really kind of trust it and believe it so that when I do go toe-to-toes with those guys, I can, I can stand up to them. Keith, one of my favorite moments in covering this game was bumping into you and Kiz in the, the clubhouse at Memorial several years ago. You guys are both plain-spoken, clear-spoken kind of guys. How would you assess your career to date? Someone who's bounced around in Panama and played on far-flung tours to being a PGA Tour winner at this point? I tell you what, part of me feels like the luckiest person in the world to get to be starting my seventh <laughs> year on the PGA Tour, especially coming from you know a, a decent junior player, um, a kind of average college player, according to the Georgia standards, I would say and being able to compete on a Latin American tour and then two years on the Corn Ferry Tour, to be able to have, say, I'm starting my seventh year on the PGA Tour as a winner is an absolute dream. 
but at the same time to to say that I've only won once with some of the stats that I have in my game feels a little disappointing. So I feel like it's a it's a little bit of dualism there trying to to show some perspective in where I've come from, but also still show some hunger that I can get better and I can perform to the highest level. And the Worldwide Technology Championship this week in Cabo, Keith, is being played at El Cardinal, Tiger's course at Diamante Resort. I know you haven't had a chance to get out there and see it yet. You're about to do that. Is there the same anticipation or curiosity in the locker room this week about what a Tiger Woods golf course looks like, the first one ever to host a tour event, as the fans are curious about it? I am, am extremely excited. The only Tiger course I've ever played is the Hay at Pebble Beach. <laughs> and I think this one's going to be a play a little different than that. But uh, the weather looks great here. Um, I'm, I'm excited to judge Tiger on his uh, architectural skills because it's easy to judge his golf skills is, is the best ever probably. So, um, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a place that I'm excited to play. I've heard that the fairways are pretty wide. I wish they were tight. But, um, you know, hit a lot of drivers and then really got to be precise on the irons because apparently there's a lot of roll offs around the greens, which Tiger was one of the greatest iron players of all time. So I think he wants to put a little bit of a uh, little bit of leniency there. I can attest that the fairways aren't quite that wide. <laughs> they may be too wide for well, you, but they're not too wide for me. <laughs> We're definitely sitting where we should. Keith, have a great week in Mexico and thanks so much for the time. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Back on golf today, quite the Sunday at the Maybank Championship. Frances Celine Boutier defeated Ataya Titikun on the ninth hole of a playoff for her fourth win this season. She's the first player to win at least four times in a season since Nellie Korda and Jin Young Ko did so back in 2021. And the win on Sunday marks the sixth of Boutier's career. She is the winning French golfer in LPGA Tour history by far. Can really put some distance between her your fellow country women. Well, another French woman will be looking to follow in Boutier's impressive footsteps. Agathe Lenny is returning to the LPGA Tour in 2024 with full status. She spent most of this year on the Epson Tour and put together a pretty impressive season. She was the 2023 Florida's Natural Charity Classic champion, finished sixth on the money list, had six top tens in this season on the Epson Tour was the 2022 LPGA Tour rookie with the best finish of tied 16th and a Big 12 Player of the Year back in 2019. And Agathe Lenny joins us now. Agathe, congratulations on getting the card. You finished sixth on the money list when the 10 got the card. The, my question is, what was the stress like those last few weeks for you? Because you missed the cut in the last three starts. Were you starting to worry that the card was going to slip away from you at that stage, or did you still feel confident that you were going to get it? Uh, yes, I was stressed, definitely. Uh, I didn't play my best game uh, at the end, but I'm glad I got the card. <laughs> well, how are you a different player now, maybe a better player now than you were a couple of years ago? Yeah, I try to focus a lot more when I'm practicing and put lot more hours than I did when I was younger and be more professional about it. When you were a rookie on the LPGA Tour back in, in 2022, you had 18 starts with only three made cuts. And when you go back next year, you're going to see a lot of the familiar courses. You're going to see a lot of familiar towns. So it's not going to be as strange to you next year as it was two years ago. Do you expect that that's going to help in terms of comfort level and performance ultimately? Yes, I definitely think it will help. And also the travel, I've been used to it. 
So that's much easier, I think. And as you said, I know some of the courses and I can plan in advance which tournaments I can play because I have a better category as well. So that's great to have for, for next year as well. Speaking of travel, Paris, France is a long way from Austin, Texas. How did you end up at UT? Um, the coach, Ryan Murphy, just emailed me and I visited. I thought it was great, great golf, great academics. So I was like, okay, I'm going to Texas. <laughs> now, again, we know it's an expensive business to try to play golf for a living. And particularly at the level of the Epson Tour, you're one of the best performers on the Epson Tour this year. How many of your colleagues do you think actually made a profit on their year on the Epson Tour? <laughs> Good question. I don't know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> really, I don't even, I don't know. I don't really look at it. I just play and try to enjoy golf. Um, uh, I don't know. I just, <laughs> that's a really hard question. Was it a struggle for you at all from time to time, the expense of the travel, finding the right hotel or motel, renting a car, getting a caddy, et cetera? Yes, that was definitely hard my first year on LPGA, but I feel like my friends helped me, and the second year on Epson was much easier for that, and uh, I'm looking for my third season, and I think it's just getting easier and easier each year. Coming off a very solid season on the Epson Tour, what what constitutes a good year for you next year? What kind of goals have you set for this year on the LPGA Tour coming up? What would make you happy? Uh, I don't really set goals. I just try to play my best and hopefully keep my card will, will be a goal, maybe. <clears throat> Has Celine Boutier's year inspired you at all? What kind of motivation is it when a fellow countrywoman is as successful as Celine has been in 2023? Yes, definitely. Uh, I love seeing her win, and she wins a lot, so I'm happy. Um, and it brings motivation because she's from the same area as I am, so I feel like if she can do it, maybe I can try to do it. So definitely more motivation. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Merci beaucoup. À la prochaine fois. À bientôt. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, after the break, we're going to hear from Joe Ogilvy. He played the PGA Tour for 15 years and last week sent a letter to his fellow players about all of the changes being considered. We're going to find out why he sent the letter and what reaction it garnered. That's coming up next. We are back on golf today. The PGA Tour has turned down a bid by Endeavor to form a strategic partnership with the circuit, according to Endeavor's chief operating officer. Endeavor, which owns WWE, the UFC, and various sports agencies, including IMG, publicly expressed interest in a partnership with the tour, and it's not clear if the tour's ongoing negotiations with Saudi Arabia's public investment fund prompted the circuit to turn down the offer. Former tour player and policy board member Joe Ogilvie now manages money for Wallace Capital Management and sent an open letter to membership of the tour on October 24th, which read in part, there's never been a better time to be a PGA Tour member. Getting the governance right today will ensure the stars of tomorrow will feel the same way. Earning the right to call yourself a PGA Tour member is an incredible accomplishment and something that only about 0.0003% of the world's golfers have earned. And we're joined now by PGA Tour winner Joe Ogilvie. Joe, you've always been a keen observer of the game inside the ropes and outside the ropes. What prompted you to write this letter? You know, I think ever since Jay made the announcement on June 6th, um, you know, you, you kind of wanted to, as a, as a player and a former player, you kind of wanted to really understand what the current state of play is a little bit more than the communications inside of Punta Vedra have, have, have given. And I've talked to a lot of players current and past, and they've, you know, they've asked my questions. They asked whether what I thought, and I figured I might as well put a pen to paper and just, you know, give them my thoughts. And, and given where we are, I mean, it's such a unique time. I mean, there's no, there's not a whole lot of parallels to this. 
um, when you think about it. I mean, we we have a we have a five hundred one c six that the players, whether you're a veteran member or the 183-odd voting members of the PGA Tour, are the sole members of. And, you know, when you go from a for-profit to a not, or sorry, from a not-for-profit and then possibly a for-profit, um, it's it's an incredibly complicated transaction. And just wanted to make sure and put my voice to whatever that means into where where the players can kind of I guess, understand it in plain English, because unless you really think about the ownership um, and how it's set up or the lack there of an ownership, um, it's kind of hard to get your arms around. And so I tried the best I could to explain it in plain English. And hopefully it hopefully it um, it helps a few guys. You, you said you've talked to a lot of players in, in recent months, Joe. Have you talked to to Jay Monaghan, the executives of the tour, and share the same concerns with them? And what has the reaction been? I haven't talked to Jay. I've, I've, I've certainly talked to um, a couple of people in his staff. Um, and, you know, I think some of the guys, even, you know, fairly high up, um, they've been a little bit confused as well, um, certainly on the messaging and, and a little bit in the dark. And, and you know, this is... I don't fault anyone for this. This is this is, you know, this is an incredibly complicated uh, subject. But it's, um, you know, I think communication and the more you communicate to the membership. I mean, we're not splitting the atom here. We're 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 trying to get this right from a professional golf standpoint. And it's not just the PGA Tour. I mean, the DP World Tour is involved. Um, certainly, lives involved. The PIFs involved. And then you know now we have other suitors. And I think it's. Um, it's just, I mean, look, from the governance standpoint, when you go from the, the C6, which you have independent directors and you have player directors, and then you go, you introduce a for-profit aspect, where, where does the governance from a PGA Tour member, where, where does it end and where does it begin um, in that new model, if you go to that new model? And it's just, it's just incredibly important to get right on the front end because when you do a deal with private equity, you don't you don't necessarily get a do-over and you, you don't get to say, well, this is this is how we intended intended this to operate, and we don't have enough representation on the board. We're gonna go ahead and we're gonna you should give us more board seats. That's that just doesn't work like that. So it's just important to really, really get it right on the front end. Um and I think, you know, if I was gonna give Jay advice, I'd just say more communication is better than less at this point. Um and there's there, there's, there's been a lack of a communication. I think um, at the beginning it was it was mishandled, and then you know it hasn't been terrifically handled since. Joe, to that point, in the letter you say entering a partnership is like entering a marriage. It's not about just checking in. All of a sudden, your needs and their needs have to be aligned. Did you get the sense that the players don't even really realize what this partnership might entail at the beginning? I think it's 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 difficult to um I mean there hasn't been a lot of communication right I mean there hasn't and, and they haven't gotten to a deal so we so we don't know it'd be un, it'd be unfair to say the players don't know what's going on but I mean I I think it's I think some players it's not intuitive to figure out okay they're going to give me 2 billion dollars or 1 billion dollars whatever the number is what does that actually mean to me and if they give you a billion dollars, they have to value the corporation at something. And then they're going to want an owner piece, uh, ownership stake in that. And explaining what that ownership stake means and the rights that that billion will get you from a governance standpoint, from a board seat standpoint, and expectation standpoint. And, you know, if it's, if it's a typical private equity deal, which I really don't think... It, you're not going to have a fund invest in the PGA tour that has to have generate a return within a few years. I mean, that just doesn't work. Um, so it's going to need to be some type of permanent capital if, and when this actually gets done. Um, but they're going to want a return. And what, what does that mean? And I think that that's, that's, that's the basis of the letter. In your letter, Joe, that you, you mentioned the various assets that the, the PGA tour has and, and their potential valuations. And there's one section where you, you give the example, for instance, of the, the old Honda Classic. 
in Palm Beach Gardens that could be potentially valued at $100 million. Or you talk about, for instance, the, the, the President's Cup or the players have a potential value of $1.5 billion. I'm, I'm curious where, at what point did you arrive at these valuations of what you think the, the, the tourist assets actually are worth potentially to potential investors? Well, I, th I think it's, you know, there's there's a little bit of math and there's a little bit of magic to it, right? I mean, um, I mean, certainly the President's Cup and the and the um, Players' Championship, I mean, those are trophy assets, right? Th those are, and you have to, you would have to separate them and it'd be very complicated. But if you think about the President's Cup, you have, um, I mean, you have global TV rights. Now, we put that in a television package and it's in its, in its package. So it, it makes... All the other tournaments worth a little bit more, so you would have to separate it. But it would be it would be somewhat complicated. But I mean, in Chicago, when the Presidents Cup goes there, I mean, I would assume that they'll do. They've got to be they'll, they'll they'll do somewhere around the eighty million dollar mark on site, and you know, let's call the margins forty five percent, so you get around forty to thirty five to forty million dollars on site and profit. And then you go to the U.S. television rights and the international television rights. And what are those worth? Well, I don't know. Those are worth a lot of money. Um, so you put a valuation on that and then you say, OK, well, what's it worth if I'm a let's break them up from like the Ryder Cup's broken up. You've got the European side and you've got the U.S. side. Well, if I'm. Um, you know, I'm 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 I run Richemont. I'm, I'm Johan Rupert, who is a South African and, you know, sponsors of Dunhill and. Is just a big fan of golf. He also owns luxury brands. That President's Cup is a luxury brand. And if I'm an international suitor, that might be worth a lot of money to me. I could put it in different countries. I'm the richest guy in Korea. I'm the richest guy in Australia, richest guy in South Africa. I'm, I'm running the PIF. Owning that asset on the international side, by the way, it also might, the international captains might like it out of the PGA Tour hands. That might be interesting to someone, and I think it'd be interesting in the, to the tune of, you know, seven hundred and fifty to seven hundred fifty million dollars on just the international side. Honda Classic, on the other hand, you just do it. You know, there's a value to it. Um, I think Honda Classic, if it's run really, really well, I think they could do twenty million dollars top line. I think they could probably make somewhere in the seven and a half to eight million dollar range on site. Um, Put a value on top of that. I think there's probably a a ego value as well, and you get the hundred hundred million pretty easy. Joe, speaking of and you media, twenty five tournaments. Well, you have twenty five tournaments, so that's you know. Well, speaking of media rights, which you bring up, that's one reason why we're sitting here today is Phil Mickelson's contention about who controls those media rights, saying he thought that the two were controlled too much. I'm curious your thoughts on Phil Mickelson. And where we sit to this day, some view him as a Benedict Arnold, some view him as a hero in terms of the money that's now going to the PGA Tour players. How do you view his opinions on this whole matter of who controls media rights and who controls the dollars? Well, I mean, look, I, I, I have enjoyed being around Phil um when i played i mean there there is there is no better person with the gift of gab um now he's 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 certainly um i haven't agreed with the 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 rhetoric on leaving the pga tour um but take phil out of it i think that what what competition has done um it has enabled the pga tour to relook at their business model and relook at some of the things that they've done. And, you know, from a player's perspective and from a, you know, now a finance guy's perspective, I mean, what, what competition does is it gives you a chance to sharpen the pencil a little bit and look at your business and say, okay, are we running this right? Are we a little bloated? Um, is there a better way that we could be running this business? And, you know, I think that's cause that's what that's what live and that's what the PIF has has done in their investment is is caused the PGA Tour to kind of <laughs> to relook at this thing. And I mean, I think going to a calendar year schedule has been a very very good thing for the guys. I mean, it's it's going to be difficult. It's 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 
it's going to be incredibly hard to keep your card. I can now tell you everybody's schedule without, if you tell me where they finished on the FedEx Cup points last year, I will tell you how many tournaments they're going to play and what their schedule is. It's never happened before. Um, it's not exactly true for the top 50, but outside of the top 50, I can tell you their schedule next year. So you're going to have more guys playing more often. Um, I think that, uh, you know, as far as the media rights go, I, you know, I think that's up for debate. And I, I think the tour would definitely loosen up, the, loosen that up. Um, and again, competition created that. You think the deal with the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia will happen? And do you think it should happen? I think that it would be very difficult to happen as, as contemplated on June 6th. I mean, Jay, Jay saying that evening that they had an opportunity to take a competitor off the board and they took it. And then um, Mohammed bin <laughs> Salman, um, his Royal Highness said that Brett Baer, that we will have no competition. The Justice Department tends to not like those statements. So I think if a if a deal does happen, I think it would probably happen um, on the international side. And you know, you look at you look at assets the PGA Tour has that maybe we're not the best stewards of those assets. Um, maybe the DP World Tour that was done as a you know that was done that was done to kind of form a better partnership with the DP World Tour. I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's an asset. Maybe the international. Um, side of the President's Cup is an asset that maybe we, maybe we're not the best owners of. I say we in terms of the PGA Tour, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's hard. It would be hard for the PIF to be the only investor if you're talking about the PGA Tour, just because I think the antitrust would be, it'd be pretty tough. In your letter, you have the line, Joe: "Culture and values matter." Are the values and culture of golf on the PGA Tour aligned with the government of Saudi Arabia? I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've certainly read, you know, um, and watched what you've said, Eamon, and, and, and certainly what Brandel has said. I, I'm a little more, um, I'm, I'm a little more open-minded. I mean, I think we live in a global world and money is very fungible. Um, I mean, Saudi Arabia is a, a market that, that I would say something like 70% of our, um, maybe more of our sponsors have business in. And so that's, it's, it's very difficult when you start playing the moral card. Um, and when, when I say values and everything else, I mean, I think that even if you did a small piece with a, with a PIF, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a carrot and a stick, and I think you've got to give you can't pigeonhole a society forever. Um, and I think that there's, I think that's just as dangerous as, as excluding. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's hard. I, I, I certainly understand every single person's argument to, from, and, and every which way, but um, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little softer on that, but I, I think it does matter who you choose as a partner. And I think that the, the understanding their intentions going in, understanding what they want out of it um, from an economic standpoint, from a um, reputational standpoint, everything else is, is very, very important. And um, it's something you certainly have to, and everything is, I mean, look, every little thing is weighed, right? I mean, if you, you want you want to make sure who your partners are, and you want to and you want to understand to the best of your ability what their motivations are. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't know I don't know if anything will ever happen, but that, that's kind of my stance on it. Joe, because of how this framework agreement was announced in darkness, the players not uh, abreast of the negotiations. The PJ Tour's previous stance, Jay Monahan's previous stance of never having to apologize about being a member on the PGA Tour to where we sit today. What is the road like for Jay to earn back the trust, and I mean the complete trust, of the PGA Tour membership? Well, he's not going to. I mean, he's just not going to. Um, now, he can do the best. He, he can stay in that role, um, but he's not going. He's That's, that's permanently 
impaired, I think. Um, but he can stay, you know, he can stay in that role and he can do the best of his possible his abilities. And um, I mean, it's just, I think it's naive to think that that he's going to have the same trust as he 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 previously earned. Um and I, I don't think that that's that controversial of a statement, but you can have, I mean, you can, you can, you can run the organization without the the, the players trust it comes a little bit harder. Um, and they may not do as they may not, they might may not help you out as much as possible, but I mean, you, you just have to run to the best of the ability and, and, and always put them first. I mean, it's, um, it was, it was, <laughs> It wasn't a fatal blow, but it was a, it was a, it was, it was not, it was handled extremely poorly. Are you interested in being the commissioner of the PGA Tour, Joe? <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm very happy at Wallace Capital. Um, I'm happy at Wallace Capital. It's a, it's a, we, we have a, we have a great firm and, <laughs> um, but I am, I will say this, I am interested in helping the players out any way they see fit. And they, part of that letter was to, to get them to understand, like, they control the PGA Tour. I mean, they they are the natural owners of this thing if it ever becomes a for-profit organization. And as owners, Jay and Ponte Beach, they work for them. Um, and it's, it's, it's important that they understand that. You know, I think that there's, over the years, I think it's gotten to the point where the sometimes the people running this organization views the players as as is nice to have, and 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 it's they're um, they're important to have, but they're they're also they're interchangeable. Um, you know, certainly not Tiger Woods, and certainly not you know some of the top guys, but the vast majority of them are interchangeable and that's, that's actually not that far off, but at the same time, management, they work for the players. And I think that that's been lost. Um, and I think June 6th, if it did anything, it highlighted that. And um, regardless, if you say it, it, it was just a, you know, it, we just rolled it out poorly, but the fact of the matter is it, it'd be like, you know, I'm a financial advisor now. And I advise people ask me all the time on, you know, can I afford this house? Can I afford, you know, it'd be like if um, I was a financial advisor to you, Damon, and said, and you're asking me all these questions and I just sold your house without you and your wife knowing. Um, that's that's kind of what this was. And, you know, I, I just don't know how you, you're, you're not gonna re regain trust. Um, or you you might, but it's going to take a really, really, really long time. It's not going to take it's not going to take months. It's not going to take years. It's going to take a decade. Well, when you say that it's going to be tough to regain trust, that Jay Monahan probably won't regain trust, and you've talked about governance issues and how the ownership really belongs to the players here, that would seem to suggest you're advocating that a player or a former player ought to be the commissioner. And the question is, I guess, is a former player or a current player or you qualified to run a multi-billion dollar business? Um, well, I, I think there's, I mean, DB, Dean Beeman did it just fine. But um, the tour was kind of like a corner shop back in that era versus the Walmart that it is today. Yeah, but it's still at the, at the heart of it. What you're trying to do is you're trying to give a platform for the best golfers in the world to showcase their skills. I mean, at the heart of it, that's the that's the simplicity of the business. Now you have digital rights and you have international rights and you have, you know, you have, um, what do you have? You got 32 events, 28 of which, or maybe it's 29 of which you control. You don't control the four majors. Um, I don't know if we really control the Scottish Open or not. Um, probably influenced. But um, it's it's really not it's a it's a complex but it, it's a relatively simple business at heart um there's plenty of plenty of private equity guys that are looking at this business i mean those guys could run it or they have people at at the hand um that could run this business i mean anyone that's run f1 or the nba or the nfl or 
Major League Baseball could come into the PGA Tour and they could run the business. That this is not a, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not. Um, this isn't real complicated. It's 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 a it's a. The personalities are, but as far as the business goes and the business of sports, um, it's it's a very 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 good business, and it's um, it could be it could be run. And by, by the way, Jay, Jay's up until up until this point, he's done a terrific job. And I think that, you know, I, he's still in the, he's still in a position and I think he'll more than likely be there for the next couple of years. Is the game still attractive enough? The PGA tour coming off the greatest needle mover of all time in tiger to this young crop of stars to attract enough private equity interest, uh, to potentially, uh, you know, rival the, the dollars that the PIF is throwing out in negotiations. Oh yeah, I mean, there, there's yeah, it's incredibly attractive. Um, it's incredibly attractive. It's it's a look. There's there's um, there's only so many instances where you get a chance to, or the doors even open, to participate at the league level in a sport from an investment standpoint. I mean, think about it. I mean, up until the last couple of years, private equity wasn't even allowed into some of the NFL and the NBA. And now that's kind of open. I mean, Major League Baseball now has their first publicly, um, well, the Atlanta Braves is publicly owned. Uh, Liberty Media controlled that. Liberty Media also owns F1. Um, I'm sure they're involved. I'm sure they're involved um, in, this, in this PGA Tour discussion. So you have... You, you have um, it would it would it's not going to be hard to raise if you wanted to two three four billion dollars. This is this is not a hard this is not a hard thing. Um, now the question is who do you want as your investor? That's that's a hard thing, and then you you got to figure out the the rights and the governance and everything else. But as as far as the investment goes, it it's um, a few billion dollars is not that much money. The the question a lot of fans will ask, Joe. Does the tour need the money? What what changed now, other than the irrational actor uh, of Liv yeah. telling players that they're worth more than the market ever told them they were worth before, does the tour actually need the investment fundamentally? I don't know if it does or not. I mean, I, I think the tour, <laughs> you know, in, in part of this, you know, you when Ron Price... Um, was in front of the Senate panel and he said our very existence was in doubt. Um, I mean, I kind of, you know, that kind of stopped me in my tracks because I, I was always under the impression looking at the balance sheet that we were fine, fully sponsored. Um, I mean, they didn't even offer Dell computer to uh, or Dell technologies to re up at the match play because things were going so well. Um, and so I, I just assumed everything was, you know, hunky dory. That that comment kind of threw me for a loop, and maybe maybe he would like a mulligan on that. But um, I I think that I think the PGA Tour has plenty of resources. Do they need to do the deal? Probably not. I mean, I think that the, uh, or at least in the short term, I think the five hundred one c six has served a purpose. Do I think if we went to a for profit model, it could be it gives you the ability to do other things. Um, I think that would probably help in the long term. I think you always have to look at that. I mean, Major League Baseball, NFL, they gave away their 501c6 or terminated it maybe 10 years ago. So it gives you a little bit more optionality. Um, I think that, like I said, I think that whenever you look at your assets, you you, you ask the question, are we the best stewards of some of those assets? And I think that there's, I think there's a debate on that. And and you can get rid, of, you can sell those, and you you still maintain control of the whole tour. Um, and then you know maybe you maybe look maybe the deal is is so good with some of these. And I don't I don't know the the economics of of any of the suitors, but maybe the deal is so good that it makes total sense. I mean, if someone valued the tour at twenty billion dollars, I would say, yeah, let's let's take the money. Um, we so it all comes down to price. But this is PGA Tour is a trophy asset. I mean, it is it is an incredibly valuable asset, and um, that they will they will have plenty of suitors. Now the question is, you know, and if you're the players, 
you, you, you got to ask if someone's going to give you a billion or two billion, what, what's the plan for that money? And um, that plan for that money and that, that capital allocation decision, because that's what it is, right? You give $2 billion in cash. How are you going to go spend it? Um, are you going to spend it in players' salaries? You're going to spend it in, you know, um, the makeup of John Rom turned down two hundred million dollars. We're gonna we're gonna make him whole. I don't know if that, that that's a debate. What whole means, right? I mean, if you look at the live guys, they they pretty much lost all their sponsors. Um, so I don't know what John Rom's making off the golf course, but there's a. There's a there's probably some type of formula there. I have no idea. I'm I'm not in those discussions, but um, I don't know. I think that there's there's a lot of questions that you can ask as a player, but I would definitely demand and I would want to plan. And um, I'm sure they're done. PJ Tour. There's a lot a lot of smart guys, including Jay Monahan, that are there, and they are they know they have to they know they have to show a good plan and they know they have to kind of make up for, you know, I guess a year of, of being less than perfect. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm relatively confident that, that they'll come up with something kind of interesting. Joe, not sure you plan on spending your lunch hour with us. We are highly appreciative of your time. Thank you so much. Thanks guys. Appreciate it.